Good morning. If you're sweating in aisle seven, fighting with a shopping trolley today, this one goes out to you. To the side. To the side. To the side. And around. Through the middle end. To the side. To the side. To the side. And around. Through the middle end. To the side. To the side. To the side. To the side. And around. And around and around. And around and around. To the side. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Through the midpoint. Of the line drawn from the left side. And around and around. And around and around. And around and around. Stressful, isn't it? Even Claire Byrne, unflappable Byrne, was feeling the pressure. Here she is with Barry Savage, retail consultant. I'm going to the supermarket later on today. I'm sort what? of dreading it because no. it is, it's busy, you know, and yeah. it's a little bit stressful it and is. you have your list and you're still going to forget stuff. Absolutely. Is it the case that customers are emotional at this time of the year? Oh, absolutely. They're totally emotional. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, they, they burst into tears in the car park before they even walk into the shop. So they will. You know, that sliding, that, that sliding door as you're walking into the shop, even the sound of it is very triggering for people. <laughs> I mean, you know that, shh, it's not like a kiss. It's like a, shh, here we go. And you take a deep breath and you just pile in. <gasps> and by the way, today is the day. I know the 23rd is going to be the 23rd busiest day. Is the, absolutely. Over 100 million euro will be spent in uh, Irish supermarkets on that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, look at Claire. I could go on about... Uh, you know, have your list done and get in early and be as relaxed as possible. But most people just, they want to get in and get out and get it done as quickly as possible. First of all, the trolley you're taking. Sure, it's like a skip on wheels now, so it is. And then you buttress it on either side with selection boxes. It's like the doors you see around skips, buttressed all the stuff in them. So when you walk you, in. When you walk. You put but be aware of the tricks supermarkets use to get you to throw a few more bits into the trolley. It is called cross-merchandising. For example, you'd have uh, the crisps uh, displayed beside the beer and you put up, you know, you buy the crisps and you buy the beer, whatever. But uh, the best example I have of that is I remember years ago, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was a lovely Nigella said that you could not have roast potatoes at Christmas unless they were anointed with goose fat. Yes, so what we did was we put a big display of jars of goose fat beside the mountain of roosters potatoes. Well, they sold out within two days. OK, and now, I'd say prior to that, you probably sold one jar in One jar a day. <laughs> and there were a five or a pop. And honest to God, I've, there wasn't a goose safe in North County Dublin. I, people were going at them with liposuction <laughs> to try and get the fat out of them. Uh, and, and, they that's were how, and that's how it's done. So you see something in popular culture or you think the yeah. crisps be nice with the beer and you exactly. slap them in beside each other. Exactly. And at Christmas, people are going to fall for that oh, more absolutely. than at any other time oh, well, of the more year. More than any other time because you don't want to make a mistake and then you're torn at the corner. And you're... Oh, you don't want to make a mistake. Wake up and find you forgot the cheese and onion. That would not go down well. And while we will, of course, be eating our own body weight on Christmas Day, unsupercharged dietitian Orla Walsh joined Anna Geary with the science behind why we nod off after the Christmas dinner. So if you do wake up at least, you'll have a good explanation as to why the drool is hanging out of your mouth. 
Christmas dinner is unique because a lot has led up to it. There's been maybe a month of extra socialising. There's been the early days, you know, the excitement for Santa coming. Um, there's been so much socialising, so little sleep, poor food habits, everything leading up to it. It's a perfect storm. Then you have a really big meal and you get um, what's called an, a hormone, insulin spike and drop. And when it drops is when we get sleepy. Insulin, got it. But is there any way to avoid this. So there's a couple of things you can do. Um, One of them would be just to have a starter where it's based on vegetables or protein because it's protein as protein more so than fibre but protein really slows the release of carbohydrate into the bloodstream preventing such a big spike and such a big drop. Also if we have the protein Um, Before we eat, we eat the meal much slower because it's so filling. It's the likes of chicken or prawn. So if you're having chicken skewers or a prawn cocktail or something like that, um, it's in eggs, it's in animal produce. Mm -hmm. If you're a vegetarian or serving a vegetarian option, it is in cheese, um, beans, peas and lentils and, and soya foods. So there's lots to choose from. And yet, about an hour after we wake up, curiously, we could go again turkey stuffing sandwich maybe crisps dipped in pate coated in lard a caramel barrel oh if only we could be more mindful in our eating more zen as we stuff our little gobs what we want to do when we're eating something delicious is to eat with all five senses. Um, so we look at it, we smell it, we taste it properly. You, you actually listen to the crunch of that chocolate, for example, or that crisp and, and wait until the gorgeous taste of it leaves our mouth before having another bite. If you eat it mindfully, it's really hard to overeat and take your time with with it and eat it without distraction mm-hmm. and when we use all five senses to eat I'm telling you it is a taste explosion it is delicious and what about the drink and the other drink and the one on top of that is the hair of the dog a real thing uh, no sorry to break it to people what it is it's just they think part of the horribleness of a hangover is that alcohol com- leaving your system. So if you were to have another drink, what you're just doing is topping it back up again. So you're kind of pushing, kicking that can down the road. So the likes of an orange juice is a good idea because it's more hydrating than water. I suppose just maybe get out and get a bit of exercise, speed up that metabolism. Um, That's what the exercise does and it will help the body rid that uh, body off alcohol. But just don't do too much because you are a bit dehydrated and vulnerable. Blankets on the couch. From Supercharged. And if all of that is making you feel a little picky, well, on World Report, the advance of the super pig. Researchers say these super pigs are smart, tough and adaptable. They eat and damage crops, eat wildlife and can spread disease to working hog farms. One researcher describes them as the most invasive animal on the planet. That's Dan Carpenchuk. He's in Toronto. And these super pigs, well, they are quite the breed. The U.S. isn't a stranger to these wild pigs. They've been around for years and have been found in more than 30 states. Pigs are not native to North America, but they've been here for centuries. In Canada, the problem goes back to the 1980s when farmers were encouraged to raise wild boar. Many believe there would be a market for them in Canada as exotic livestock and a ready source of cash for meat. After all, men have hunted wild boar for food for thousands of years. The idea was to diversify Canadian livestock production and even have the boar used as game. But that market collapsed by 2001, and many farmers simply set the animals free. Many also escaped. That was the mistake. 
the boar crossbred with domestic swine and created the super pig that's now spreading out of control in Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Manitoba. They have the survival skills of wild Eurasian boar, as well as the high fertility of domestic swine. A professor at the University of Saskatchewan, Ryan Brook, calls them an ecological train wreck. It seems they're very adaptable and can easily survive the Canadian winter, much to the surprise of many experts. These hybrids also reproduce quickly, making them one of the most prolific invasive mammals in Canada, and they eat anything, including crops and wildlife, often tearing up land as they root for bugs and crops. They're also threatening native species such as nesting birds, deer, and farm livestock, and they can spread diseases such as African swine fever to hog farms. They range in size from about three and a half to five feet in length and can weigh as much as 400 pounds. Golly, and they are on the move and pretty much indestructible. This explosion of super pigs in western Canada is now approaching the U.S. border. Some aerial reconnaissance has already spotted them on the other side of the border in North Dakota. But feral swine have already been reported in at least 35 U.S. states, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimates their population at about 6 million. As one researcher put it, the issue of the wild pigs has become so acute, it's gone from a minor nuisance to an out-of-control problem incredibly fast. From World Report. On Thursday's Lifeline, their annual highs and lows of the year as voted by you, the listener. These were the options. First, the highs. Hey, if you think, which a lot of people do, the achievements of our wonderful, wonderful athlete Rashidat uh, Adeleki, everyone knows her at this stage, uh, from South Dublin, if you think uh, her achievements were the high point of the last 12 months, you just text the letter A. If you think our first St. Bridget's Day bank holiday, which is here to stay, Woo-hoo. which the first one was this past 12 months, <laughs> you text the letter B. C, if you think chat GBT was a high point. F is for the Fab Four, the Beatles, this number one single. We never thought we'd see it again or hear it again, but it's out. The Beatles got back to number one with a brand new song called Now and Then. J is for the Joe Biden visit to Ballina, especially if you think uh, the Joe Biden visit. K is if you think Patrick Keelty's toy show was the highlight. M, people going back to the movies and the cinema and Barbenheimer and all that whole thing about going back outdoors to events and gigs. R is for the achievements. I know we came to a shuddering halt, but the achievements of the Irish rugby team in the World Cup. U, uh, this year is for you too, is uh, those who are lucky enough to go to the Sphere mm-hmm. in Las Vegas uh, to see what is everyone is saying is the most incredible yeah. uh, live experience. And W, is another high, and they featured last year, they didn't win it, is the women's soccer team, their fantastic display uh, in Australia in their uh, World uh, Club. And then the lows. D is for the dire cost of living crisis, self-explanatory. E is for the environment, the weather, the floods, the storms. That's E. Uh, G is for the RTE controversy or controversy, the RTE controversy. Uh, I is for AI-generated content and everything that that entails. O, O is for online scams, which featured a lot this year on Liveline. N is for the Russian Navy submarines chasing our fishermen off Cork. Uh, S is for the Irish male soccer team failing to qualify. 
T is for Ryan Tuberty leaving the Late Late Show. He left the Late Late Show before all the controversy uh, uh, unfolded, unrelated. T is for Ryan leaving the Late Late Show. V is for vaping. And X is for X replacing Twitter and all the mayhem and messing that that cost. And while the merits of all were debated, the people spoke. This was their verdict. The low point, uh, number uh, three... Uh, was the RTE controversy. Finally, that was the outturn of the final vote a minute ago. Mm. Uh, number two was the environment crisis. And number one, people thought the low point, or the people who voted thought, the low point of the last 12 months was Ryan Tuberty leaving the Late Late Show. There you are. OK, let's go into... Hmm, interesting. And what about those highs? Number three. Oh. In your highlights of uh, 2023 is uh, the athlete Rashida Adelecki. And, uh, well, more is ahead, more is ahead. That's the first time she's been in the top ten and Mm. she's in at number three. That is some achievement. Number two is Paddy Keelty. Oh! Oh. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So the whole country country were weeping. Yeah, weeping, yeah. As as, uh, outlined in that poll, they thought the low low point of 2023 was Ryan leaving. Mm -hmm. And the high point. King is dead. Long live the king. Well now, but lest we bury the lead, the absolute high point was the Irish rugby team. It was Pat's choice. For me, it was the rugby. Why? Why? Uh, Because I think it was just like all good sport does. It gave us a great life lesson. You know, you go out, you do your best. And, you know, huge expectations on, on that team. Yeah. And, you know, they came up short but they gave everything and they apologised to nobody and I thought it was just fabulous mm-hmm. the dignity the dignity that they went uh, and you know faced everybody with and said well you know we did our best that was as good as we could do on the day and it was just brilliant I think it's a great life lesson when you've done your best you've no apology to make to anybody Hard to argue with that one from Liveline back in a bit Welcome back Christmas a time for family relaxation fun and board games and if you are competitive, <clears throat> an opportunity to crush your children, make your nephews cry, thwart your father and frustrate your mother. Bit like a Greek tragedy. With Brendan, Professor Marcus de Sotoy, mathematician and Simone Professor for the Public Understanding of Science at the University of Oxford. You're not a fan of Monopoly, are you? Because you, you think it, no. it, it, it goes on too long, yeah? Yeah, I think that's a game where I, I kind of have some uh, some kind of rules I'm looking for in a good game. And one of them is that it shouldn't finish before it ends. And by that, <laughs> I, I mean, it. sometimes, well, you know, halfway through a game, you know who's going to win Monopoly. You know, somebody's got all the good properties and they just then grind out the bankruptcy yes. of the other players. And your problem is, but if you do want to win, and let's face it, who doesn't? Here's a tip. The most visited square on the Monopoly board is actually the jail square. Now, there are many ways to get sent to jail. You know, you can uh, get pick up a community chess card. You can get sent to jail by the, the square diagonally opposite or three, three doubles sends you to jail, actually. But you can't buy jail. So how can you use that mathematically? Well, then look at what the most popular throw of two dice are as people emerge out of jail. Well, um, you know, getting a two is really rare because that's only a one and a one, or a 12 is rare because that's only a six and a six. But six, seven, eight, and nine are really popular throws of the dice. So that is putting you into the orange region of property. So my little tip for you at Christmas is buy the orange property, 
stack it with hotels. Door and Street, Dane Street, and Pier Street, I think in my day that was, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, yeah. People yeah. have different versions. I yeah. used to play an American edition because that's the original from Atlantic City. So, um, But they're, they're always orange, the ones, you know, sort of uh, two, okay. uh, the second set of properties on from jail. Buy those, Buy stack orange. them with hotels, yeah, and yeah. bankrupts the other players. Oh, yeah, dry your tears and pay me. But culturally, games can tell us a lot about ourselves. In India, um, they quite like games which they give themselves up to the role of the dice. So interestingly, Snakes and Ladders has its origins in India. And it's actually a game about um, the impact of good and bad karma on trying to reach paradise. Of course, um, well, right. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's uh, you know I used to think it was a kind of English game, and in fact, an Englishman who saw this game when they were out in colonial times in India kind of stole it and brought it back to England and patented it as his own game. And but actually, it's you know has real ancient origins in Jain and Hindu philosophy. Um, and it seems we have always played games, and taken some serious messages from it. Play is, is very good for us. It's part of our kind of evolution and development as a species, you'd say. Uh, yeah, in fact, there was a proposition by somebody that we should be called Homo ludens, the playing species, rather than Homo sapien, the thinking species, because actually play has been incredibly important to our evolutionary development. You know, in a way, a game always has rules uh which define the game. And so every time you play a game, it's a bit like doing a little experiment with those rules. And, and then very often you can take the learn the things you've learned through playing that game back into real life. That's why a lot of um, games are about strategy and war, because that's a kind of safe space to explore perhaps um, some strategy you want to apply to in the real world. And but you want to try it out before you start losing lives. So a lot of the early games were actually grew out of trying to understand uh, strategy and warfare. From Brendan at the weekend and on Arena, the best of Christmas TV. And one of their top picks was Peter and the Wolf on RTE1 on Christmas Day. Gavin Friday's take on the Prokofiev classic with artwork by Bono. Beware, for wolves come in many disguises. Once upon a time, there was a boy called Peter. He lived with his grandfather in a cottage with a garden surrounded by a high stone wall. Outside the wall, there was a meadow with a pond and a tall tree. Beyond the meadow was a deep, dark forest. This is the story of Peter and the wolf, who's always hungry. Ooh, menacing. And Sean was joined by reviewers Mary McGill and Chris Wasser. It's a wonderful animated film because you know an animated film is working really well when you can separate all the components and they all work by themselves, but brilliantly yeah. uh, uh, isolated. I mean, if you were to take, if you were to just listen to Gavin Friday's narration, you're hooked. It's it's a very good narration. It's just it's not just relying on the animation to do a lot of the work. That works by itself. The animation, if it was completely silent, 
fabulous, magical. It just transports you. It's very good at telling the story without any noise. But then you throw in the score and also Morris Caesar's and Gavin Friday's work. And it's just fantastic by itself. Put them all together and it's just delightful. I have to agree with Chris. I thought the narration was just spot on. I mean, it would work just as effectively mm. as, as, as a piece on the radio because the, the description um, is so excellent. And Gavin Friday doesn't, you know, he doesn't patronise. He doesn't make it saccharine. It's really moving and, and, and very, very effective. The story does change. Um, and there's a nice nod to grief and loss um, that's done uh, in, 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 again, avoiding this kind of saccharine um, mm. tone that you can find in a lot of, of Christmas material. Um, and But there is a modern, modern edge to it. And I, I love what they've done because they've managed to make Peter very much a modern boy, but they have kept the sensibility and the key lesson of the original story. And as you can hear, they really liked it. Everything about this is is really thoughtful. It's really creative and it manages to kind of, you know, reach back in time to something that is deeply traditional. I certainly associate Peter and the Wolf with Christmas because of the setting and so on, but also reimagine it for a new audience. And I just was looking at the time when it's going out, you know, around lunchtime mm. on Christmas Day. And I was like, that is, it's just the perfect piece for people to sit down and take half an hour and just lose themselves into it. There's something for adults, there's something for children and there's a lovely story that balances it all. I'm very proud for the purposes of full disclosure, five to one is nowhere near lunchtime in our oh, house on Christmas, me, <laughs> Christmas Day. <laughs> it's post-breakfast. Post-breakfast. Brunch. It's brunch. So you have this classic tale that ha- now has this distinctive Irish flavour. You can go and, you know, pick up the book. You can listen to CD. But now this is a wonderful companion piece to those. Mm. So I think it will brighten up countless living rooms across the country at, uh, at lunchtime on Christmas Day. <laughs> Barely getting out of the pyjamas at that time. With Ray, Alison Spittle. She lives in London now. Notions. Yeah, and I'm one of these girls now that roasts vegetables for my salad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's you're a different posh. life. I know. <laughs> oh, you go off to London, and before you know it, you're roasting your vegetables. It's far from roasting <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> I was raised. It'll be boiled to a paste. Oh, boiled. <laughs> that, that's what it was. Normally. I'm it in your mouth. <laughs> exactly. Not in a good way. No. <laughs> You remember when you just you'd hope that there'd be a little bit of resistance from the carrot? Totally. N- no, none. Whatsoever. Totally. And we were and look, we were into forms and purees before it was big. <laughs> and that was through boiling it for two yeah, hours. We could eat carrots with our lips. Yes. <laughs> Nothing was undercooked. <laughs> boiled until it was translucent. But then they got into massages, don't ask. And this story, brace yourself. Yeah, so you, I love So that. I have a massage story. Oh, do you? Yes. I want to hear this, Ray. Wait well, there, I'll I was, probably listen to the ears now. It's a bit like roast vegetables and you. Far from massages <laughs> that I was reared, right? So, but <laughs> but I, yeah. I was... Jenny, when we were... She was, you know, big fan of massages and yeah. was convincing me, always on to me whenever we were on holidays, get, you know, relax. Yeah. You find it difficult to relax. Go and go and get a massage. So we were in a place, I'm not going to name it now, but it was on the island of Ireland uh, and there was a massage person. It Like it wasn't a big destination spa or anything like that. It was, it was pretty boutique. Boutique? Boutique, boutique. Is right. that a euphemism? <laughs> it was small and quaint, you know, okay, this particular yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I said, okay, right, right, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go out of my comfort zone. So uh, I went anyway and sheepishly, there was a door off a corridor uh, and I sheepishly knocked the door. This woman said, come in. 
a yeah. small enough room, you know. Yeah. And there, there was the obligatory Enya-like music playing, You've and there was have there Enya. was some sort of candle burning, and there was low light and all that sort of thing. So anyway, we were making small talk, blah blah blah. Anyway, halfway through the massage, yeah, for t- some unknown reason, yeah, she, what did she do? She pulled down my <gasps> and slapped me. Where? Twice. On, like, the, on the buttocks. Like your newborn baby. Yes. <laughs> Did you start crying? No, I, I, oh, I, I, was, okay. I was in shock. I didn't know. And because I'd never had one before, I thought yeah. this was this was part of ha- it. Exactly. Right. So I'm back out to Jenny and I, I sheepishly asked her, is this part of it? And she goes, no, it's not. No, oh it's not. God. So that's, I have never been back since. Look. Traumatised. Absolutely. You, you were played like a tambourine there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, drawing a veil over that particular incident. But earlier in the week, the Darcy Show were live in Studio One with their Christmas special. The RTE Concert Orchestra and Cathy Davey brought us this. Silent night Back in a bit. Welcome back. Hands up if you or anyone you know suffers with the particularly Irish affliction of the martyr mammy. Well, on Sunday miscellany, Christmas Pudding by Angela Flannery. It begins in October with a phone call. Are you making the puddings this year, ma'am? I don't know, she says. I'll go to the doctor for an antibiotic. I might be able for it then. But we know, my brother, my sister and me, that she'll do it. She always does. We've been eating Maudie Flannery's Christmas pudding for 50 years. She can hardly cut us off now. Our mother was in her 30s when she started this business about who's going to make the puddings when I'm gone. (laughs) Gone where, we asked. Astonished. Mam couldn't drive. <laughs> She'd have to thumb a lift. When I'm dead and gone, she said, my little sister started to cry. Let me tell you something about our mother. She was all talk. Forty years later, we're still asking for her Christmas pudding and she's still making it. Every year, as soon as the weather turns, we apply some gentle pressure. 
Can you believe there's Christmas stuff in the shops already? I know, yeah, it gets earlier every year. Next thing you know, it'll be time for you to make the puddings. By Halloween, the plumossing is in full swing. Should none of us be any good at it? Nobody makes it like you. Christmas just would not be the same. She has four pudding bowls, a big one for my brother because he's the eldest. <laughs> a medium one for me because I'm the middle child. And a massive one for my little sister. <laughs> because, well, we're not sure why. It leaves just a dribble of pudding to pour into a fourth tiny bowl to keep for herself. Don't mind me, she says. I'm here on my own. <laughs> sure, what would I want with the pudding? <laughs> Our mother's Christmas pudding always brings us joy because it's something she gives to each of us to remind us that another year has passed and she is still here. For harried mammies everywhere. Christmas pudding by Angela Flannery from Sunday Miscellany. And more Mammy Love with Marty. On Wednesday, Christmas came early on Lyric. In studio, no less, Gregory Porter. A voice like melted chocolate. And if this interview is anything to go by, a lovely man. His album is called Christmas Wish. When did you start thinking about these songs, Gregory? The idea of writing new songs for Christmas. Well, it's, it is a challenge because, you know, who do you think you are, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Irving Berlin. <laughs> right, right. Irving Porter. How, you know, how dare you write about joy? Uh, joy only happened in the 50s. How dare you? What are you, uh, the Christ child? Who do you think you are, Moses, you know? <laughs> and for Marty, there was a particular song that really stood out. Heart for Christmas is very special. Yeah, it's um, the very best feeling that you had. Christmas. Not your agent from Re- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Regaining this this feeling of togetherness, that that um, that closeness, that tight knitness that happens in the family at the at your favorite Christmas. The thing that happens in the air, the music that's being played, mixing with the smell of Christmas, whatever it is that you're cooking. Uh, the sound of the relatives greeting each other. Oh, hey, sweetheart. Oh, good. So good to see you. This sound, all of that, remembering that, going back to that, cherishing that, trying to recreate that. That's what Christmas is a nostalgic moment as well. And so I'm like, you know, if Christmas is for girls and boys so they can have their fun and joys, if Christmas is for children and children turn to men. Give me a heart of Christmas again. So it's like, um, take me back, take me back. I want to be a child again. And we did say that he loves his mammy. And when you hear this particular story, you might love his mammy too. We all gathered around the table and we prayed and we thought we was going to get down and really eat this delicious food that she prepared. Yeah. And, um... She instructed us to load it into the car, and we then took it onto the streets, and we fed the homeless people first. We brought the rest leftovers home, and we ate leftovers on Christmas Day. We ate leftovers from the homeless people. 
I had a couple of brothers that protested, but... I'm not surprised. At this, but now it's a golden memory for all of us. It's like, man, she was teaching us, yeah. all eight children, five boys and three. A lot of children. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and she was doing it pretty much alone. Doing it alone and wasn't looking for the cameras. No camera, no Facebook. TikTok wasn't there. She was just doing it. This is what we're going to do this Christmas. But we did that many times. I mean, I, I you know, I, I cased it in, the, in this Christmas moment, but she did it many, many times. People wonder why I don't cry for tomorrow. Had a mother down on bending knees to pray. She would tell me all the good news. Cleansed all my sorrow. I sing about that good news on Christmas Day. We would all hold hands around the dinner table. She made turkey, greens, cornbread, and yams. We would pray, then give the food away. It's the kind of thing you do on Christmas Day. Gregory Porter, what a voice. And more magic on Bowman on Sunday. This time, a memory from Christmas 100 years ago. From the archives, Mary O'Brien from Balavari in County Mayo. And my first Christmas recollection is of being carried out of the old house down the yard there and taken out the road and lifted up to see the lights in the big house a few hundred yards up the road. This was a teacher's house. And it was a two-storey house and there were a number of windows there with a lighted candle in every window. Well, I thought it was like fairyland. I really did. And on Monday with Claire, Evelyn O'Rourke brought us these voices from the mother of Divine Grace Primary School in Ballygall, Dublin 11. My favourite part is waking up to all the crescents uh, and I also like having like all the joy and I like to like chill out that day and just have a great time. My friends. I, I can't remember her name. It was a long time ago. Oh, yes, she, yeah. she said that she only got a notebook and a bag of coal at the fireplace. I get to go out with my family and do something fun. I get new stuff to play games and I like to play football. You get presents, snowing, fun, you get... Nice toys. Do you live by yourself in a house or is there anybody else there? No, I live with my mom, dad, hamster, lots of fishes and my sister. I like that your sister's at the end of the list behind the fish and the hamster. Mia, when I see my presents, I'm like jumping up and down and... Why do you think you get presents at Christmas? Because you're being really good and you get like some presents to thank you. Because it's the only day that you feel like you earn to be very good. And how good are you? Super duper. And are you quite happy you're going to get presents this year? Like you're not worried? I'm not worried. Happy, happy, happy. Oh, super cute. But they did have some challenging questions for physicist Dr Shane Bergen of UCD, who Claire had invited into studio. First up, this. How does 
Santa go around on his sleigh around the world in one night. Indeed. But first, an acknowledgement of what we don't yet know, because science can only tell us so much. I would encourage the young listeners to imagine the answers themselves and to think how they could figure it out, because that's half of the magic of Christmas, is trying to think what Santa Claus might be able to do. And us scientists, we can only make guesses. You know, we don't have a book that explains the science of Santa Claus, but we're able to try and imagine what magic he might be using. Mm -hmm. And so I reckon when it comes to him getting around the world in one night, he makes good use of time zones. Right. So he travels east to west. And so that means he has more than 24 hours. He has 31 hours to accomplish (laughs) his task. Um, Also, traveling from home to home is a non-trivial problem in science. Right. It's called the postman problem. How do you work out the most efficient route to get from A to B to C to D, etc.? So I reckon he must have the most incredible GPS Um, He would be looking at satellite information because when the sun uh, emits solar flares, which it did last week, a big whopper, it can put off the GPS that Santa might be using for tracking. He'd also have to uh, pay very careful attention to the likes of what Met Aaron and the other weather forecasting services are putting out and to ensure that the, the air traffic control systems are aware of where he is. And so children can log on on Christmas Eve to see where Santa is at any time. So the North Americans in in the US, they have a system where they can track Santa Claus and and make an estimate as to where they reckon he is at that time. And of course, the weather on Christmas Eve, children might want to watch it too to see have they any updates on on effects for Santa. Santa has taken all of that into account. Of course. And a lot of planning has gone into this and he already has permission from the government to enter Irish airspace. That was granted last week. So all good to go. That is good to know. But is there any credible answer to this question? Why is Rudolph's nose red? And we'd appreciate not being fobbed off. An amazing question. We know that Santa's sleigh is pulled by his trusty reindeer with Rudolph at the front. Rudolph's nose is famously red. um, And it's red because Santa Claus has to travel incredibly fast to, to reach all of the children of the world that are expecting a visit from him. And I reckon there's around 400 million children <laughs> expecting a visit from Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. So he's going to have to move incredibly fast. He's going to have to move so fast that the light from his sleigh will start to bend due to something called the Doppler effect, right? And the nose uh, will, at the very front of the sleigh, the light will start to bend and it bends red as he's moving away from you. And the redder it is, the faster he's moving away from you. However, if you look out on Christmas Eve from your window and you're meant to be asleep and you see a blue reindeer nose that means it's coming toward you Ooh. and you better get back no. under those covers absolutely because Santa Claus may be about to visit your home. Fascinating. Dr Shane Bergen with Claire and kudos to Morning Ireland. They got the call with the man everyone was looking to talk to. Santa, you've managed to tear yourself away from all the packing and loading and last minute preparations to talk to us. Good morning. Good morning, Anya. It's lovely to talk to you. Wow, impressive. Now, it was a short interview, as you can appreciate. He's under pressure. So for Anya, there was no time for the softly, softly approach. Now, I want to get a couple of facts straight because this is a news programme, Okay, So we we need to put a couple of hard questions to you. First of all, Santa... Uh, let's put the record straight on your name. Are you Santa, yes. Santi, or are you just plain old Nicky to Mrs. Claus? 
<laughs> well, now you're wrong in the last one there. I tell you, Mrs. Claus calls me Nicholas, but that's only when we're in company and she wants to sound a little bit above her station. So she says, oh, Nicholas does this and Nicholas does that, but at home she calls me Santa because years and years and years ago, before television and before the American wave came in, I was always called Santa in Ireland. But you know I have different names on you. In, uh, in, in Gosquell, you told me uh, that in the Norlog, uh, in England, I'm called Father Christmas. In Latvia, I'm called Old Man Christmas. And in Spain, I'm called Papa Noel. So there's different names. But Mrs. Claus calls me Santi at home and Nicholas when we're in company. And given the current political climate, she put this to Santi. I have another matter of great public interest oh, to put yes, to you. Yes. As you know, the public sector to pay talks broke down here. <laughs> People have been having a lot of problems with the cost of living. Now, those elves you've got working so hard up there in the North Pole, yes. have they been work- looking for extra money? Are they working oh. hard enough? Well, let me just, let me explode that myth. Not everything in the world is based upon the system of bosses and workers. Up here at the North Pole, we all contribute. And the only payment we ask for is that the goodwill of the people who receive presents, that they've spread happiness around the world. And the more happiness that's spread around the world, the happier we are at the North Pole. So there's no coming up looking for pay increases or anything else. The elves work hard and I work hard and Mrs. Claus works and the other people here at the North Pole, like Patsy the Polar Bear Postman and Sammy the Seal and, of course, all of the uh, snowmen up here. Nobody gets paid. Everybody does it for love. Do you know we'll pass that message on to the Department of Public Expenditure? I'm sure they'd really love to hear that. Interesting. And this was Anya's final question. Let's talk about Santa. I know you've had lots and lots of letters from Irish children and you've read them all. So they're waiting for you to arrive. So what have you got to say to them now about getting ready for Christmas Eve? Well, I know everybody is very, very excited on Christmas Eve. You know, no more... Than, than at the North Pole, where we're up to up to 90, uh, uh, just before I set off on the sleigh. But I will say to the children, if Mammy and Daddy ask you to go to bed early, please go to bed early, because, you know, Santa Claus won't arrive until everybody is asleep, sound asleep, a colour in a lab of fain, and chucking my own shin, and I'll bring all the presents when everybody is sound asleep and off in dreamland. Well, Santi, we appreciate your time so much. I know you're so busy. And oh, may yes, we wish you and Mrs. Claus and all the elves a very happy Christmas. Thank you for joining us and on Morning Ireland. a very happy Christmas to you in Morning Ireland and to everybody in Ireland and all over the world. To children everywhere, a happy Christmas. Bye-bye. Santi on Morning Ireland. And we are almost at a finish here. We have the playback special best of the year next Saturday. The good, the bad and the ugly. Set your alarms, people. And now, just enough time to give a special thank you to all the listeners who got in touch over the year with suggestions for the programme. It's very much appreciated. And a particular shout out to the legendary Ms. H. That is it for this week's playback. Thank you for listening and have a lovely Christmas. Thank you.